So again, that's Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 to 15, verse 21. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert roads toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving, leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots in Egypt, with officers all over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen, and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians will see, you see today will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that, the night, all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, 
with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses as his servant. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. 
Uh, when I was 18, I had a car just like this one. This is a 1984 Toyota Corolla. A wonderful automobile. Uh, I loved it like a child. Uh, one morning I woke up and saw the window smashed, glass all through the car. I'd left my wallet in the car overnight and someone had come along, smashed the window. Uh, they'd left the wallet but taken the cash, all of about $15. I was a student at the time. Uh, felt like a lot. But that had a deep effect on me. A deep effect. Uh, for a really long while afterwards, I felt very unsafe. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that. Studies show that even for fairly common crimes, 40% of victims still report feeling unsafe about a year later. They're three times more likely to feel unsafe in a normal situation than someone who hasn't been a victim. And that's just for ordinary things like someone breaking into your car. Uh, what if you've been the victim of a serious crime? What if uh, you've been a refugee, you've fled war or persecution? I can't even imagine what that's like, uh, that feeling of just being unsafe where you are. What would it take to feel safe again? What would need to happen for you to be, finally be able to rest after that? Oh, well, this passage is all about danger and safety. It's about how God works uh, to bring his people to a place of security. So what we're going to do tonight is, uh, first we're going to look at the action to see what happens, and then we're going to look at Moses' song uh, at, in the second half to see uh, why all this happens. So let's get into it. Let's have a look at the action. The first thing you notice uh, is that God takes his people to an unsafe place and he does it very deliberately. They leave Egypt and they go down to Succoth and uh, then have a look at chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahiroth, near Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Here's a map. Uh, you can see uh, they, okay, they're in Egypt, they go down, and then uh, God instructs them to turn back uh, up to Baal Zephon there. He says, you know how you're fleeing Egypt? Uh, well, turn around, go back towards Egypt. Now, it's not 100% clear, but the names of those places seem to suggest that this is a valley. It's kind of a ravine-type area. And they're to camp by the sea. So, uh, go back up towards Egypt, find a ravine, and hem yourself in there against the sea. Uh, why does God want them to go to such an unsafe place? Well, uh, for two reasons. Uh, firstly... Uh, it seems that he wants to draw Egypt into pursuing them. See that in verse 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, God has a plan uh, to bring glory to himself by drawing Egypt out uh, to chase the Israelites. God doesn't want a clean getaway here. 
uh, the plagues, the Passover, they are, are not the end game. God has unfinished business. But there's another reason that God takes them to this unsafe place. He wants Israel to be trapped. Did you notice that? At the start, chapter 13, verse 17, he doesn't lead them out uh, through the Philistine country, along the Mediterranean Sea, kind of the shorter route. Why? Because he knows they'd turn around. They'd they'd face war and they'd uh, turn back. He knows that they don't trust him yet. And so he deliberately takes Israel to a place where there's no backing out. Down the gorge, blocked by the sea. And so that's exactly how it plays out. Pharaoh changes his mind. Uh, they realise they've lost their workforce and they, uh, they rush out. They want Israel back. And the best of the best, the best chariots, everything, the chariots of Egypt, this superpower of the ancient world, go out against God's people. So Egypt are sucked in and Israel are trapped. Pick it up from verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I love the the black humour that's kind of inserted in there. Not enough graves, Moses. Is that why we're here? They're clearly not trusting the Lord, are they? I wonder if you've ever had the feeling of being utterly trapped. I went snorkeling uh, once off Rottnest. It was my first time snorkeling. A friend took me out. And if you've ever snorkeled around Rottnest, absolutely amazing. Uh, incredible to see all the uh, ocean life uh, off uh, the coast there. Uh, so we jumped in at uh, this certain point. We, we swam out not very far. And I looked up and there in front of me was a boat that was anchored and in the shadow of the boat uh, were circling about a dozen stingrays, just these big black stingrays. Now, they're not like super aggressive or anything, but I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll go around these guys. And so I looked to my left and there's about a dozen more stingrays just uh, clumped there. Look to my right, more. I turn around, I think I'm going in and there are stingrays behind me. They are everywhere. I am covered with stingrays and start freaking out. I did survive. Uh, (laughs) Turns out they were just swimming swimming past and kind of ignored me. But just that terror, that, that moment where I thought, I am trapped here. There is no escape. And Israel are at that point. They can see no way out. But both Egypt and Israel need to learn something about God. Because neither side believes that God will do anything. The Egyptians don't think that God will act. That's why they're chasing after Israel. And the Israelites don't think that God will act. They don't think he can save them at all. But God is going to deliver Israel and destroy Egypt. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still sounds like a lovely reflective uh, phrase, but it's more of a rebuke. Be quiet. 
God is going to act now. And he does. We see the creator God with all of his sovereign power. The presence of God comes in the the cloud and the fire and he separates the two groups. The the whole action has a very creation-like feel. In creation, God separates the waters and forms the, the dry ground and here he does exactly the same thing. The waters part, the dry ground appears and Israel walks straight through. God takes Israel to this place where they have no choice No choice but to be quiet and rely on him. And he delivers them. Uh, But see what happens to Egypt. They follow Israel into the sea and God acts there as well. God is the one who throws them into confusion. He jams their chariots, uh, their military technology, all of their might is useless. Uh, Have a look, verse 27. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. God utterly destroys the Egyptian army. He delivers Israel and he destroys the Egyptian army. Or in the words of verse 30, that day, The Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. In the end, it's quite confronting, isn't it? It's quite a a brutal account. God's plan is to deliver and to destroy in this final uh, decisive confrontation. Why does he do that? Why? Why? Well, I think this passage gives us two reasons. uh, Two reasons why God does this. For his glory and for their safety. For his glory and for their safety. And Moses' song helps us to see both those things. How this victory at the Red Sea is for God's glory and for Israel's safety. Uh, So firstly, we see it's for his glory. You you see that through the narrative itself. Um, Verse 14.4. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And the same again, verse 17, 18. God will gain glory through Egypt's chariots. Their very strength, their military power will be the thing that God uses to gain glory for himself, to show how incredibly strong he is, how matchless he is. And Israel's own helplessness will be the thing that God uses to show his power and glory. And he gains glory as both Egypt and Israel know him. They know him as he is. Uh, You see that in the song, verse uh, 3 of chapter 15. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. They learn something about God that day. Before this, Egypt treated God with contempt. That's why they chased Israel. They thought he could do nothing. And Israel didn't really know God, did they? They didn't know that God was able to save them. Uh, They didn't know the extent of his power. Uh, But after this, things changed. They know something about the Lord. Um, 
Usain Bolt has retired from sprinting now, but all of his Olympic victories have had the effect of making him known. He's got a name, a reputation. Uh, and I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like he's cashing in now. I see him advertising everywhere. He's advertising Optus, he's advertising for Coles, uh, Nike, all his kind of usual stuff. Because he has a name. His name means speed. And he's built it because of what he's done. All of his uh, Olympic wins, these gold medals, have given him a name. And God acts for his glory so that he will be known for who he is. Uh, But notice that it's not just Israel's deliverance that brings God glory. Uh, It's also in the way he destroys the Egyptians. God's glory is in the right judgment on Egypt for their evil. Back at the start of Exodus Uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians uh, wanted to get rid of the threat of Israel and they threw the Israelite uh, baby boys into the sea. And here God uh, rightly judges them for their evil as their army is thrown into the sea. And Moses' song is more about the defeat of Egypt. Did you notice that? More about Egypt's defeat than the rescue of the Israelites. Have a look at verse 7. Chapter 15, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. All the way through, uh, verse 10, you blew with your breath. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. It's a destruction song. That's what it is. This is a heavy metal song. It's that kind of tone to it. Both the deliverance of Israel and the destruction of Egypt, both of those things are for God's glory, to show his justice and his power. And the effect is to secure Israel's worship. Chapter 14, verse 31. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And you see it in the song. uh, He is my God, verse 3, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So that's that's the point. The point is that only total victory is enough to secure God's glory. If Israel just kind of snuck out, or if uh, Egypt kind of got tricked, or they just decided they couldn't be bothered chasing them, If you're Israel, you're always left with the question, you know, maybe Egypt could have beaten us. Uh, Is Yahweh really as strong as he claims? Maybe he's not the true and living God. Israel still managed to have all these doubts down the track, but in God's acting here, he has something to point back to. Something to say, look, look at this, look what I did to Egypt. I am absolutely the one and only. So it's God's absolute victory uh, that proves his glory and secures Israel's worship. So the Red Sea victory is for God's glory, but it's also for Israel's safety. Uh, All the way uh, from the start of the Bible, ever since uh, Genesis chapter 3, 
Adam and Eve were living in this uh, beautiful place uh, with uh, the presence of God, but their sin has them kicked out. And the rest of the Bible kind of traces a story of, of them trying to get back to a place of blessing, of security with God. And uh, the promises to Abraham, one of the key promises is the promise of a land, a place for them to dwell with God. Now, why are we talking about this here? They've just crossed the Red Sea. They're out of Egypt, but they're miles from the land. Uh, what has this got to do with uh, their place? What's the connection? Well, did you notice the second half of Moses' song? Have a look there. Chapter 15, verse 12. He says, You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. See, we're miles from Egypt in these verses, right? Uh, Moses is singing about Edom and, and Moab, the people of Canaan. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. You'll take them to this secure place. Half the song is about God taking them into the land. And so this this mighty victory at the Red Sea is the assurance that God will lead them in, that he is powerful enough to give them that place of safety. Here's the point. Only total victory is enough to guarantee Israel's security. If Israel walks through the Red Sea and Egypt kind of don't follow, they just kind of get stuck on the other side, uh, then that's not really enough, is it? Uh, you're always left with the question, maybe Egypt will come and, and get us. Maybe we're not safe where we are. Maybe God can't provide the safety that we need. But they can be 100% confident. God has completely defeated their enemies. So they can have confidence that God will lead them to the safe place. I always think of it like a cage fight. Two men enter, only one man leaves. Uh, that's how you know who the, the victor is. Uh, complete confidence. Or think back to how we began at the start. If you've been the victim of a crime, how can you feel safe again? How, how can you get back that feeling of safety? Well, you need those responsible to be completely dealt with, don't you? You need for that threat to be entirely removed. And that is what God does. He delivers Israel and he destroys Egypt for his glory and for their safety. Uh, well, what does that all mean for us? Uh, if we think about uh, us, this side of Jesus, how do we see uh, exactly that at work in the life of Jesus? Well, last week uh, was Easter. Uh, we could point out how Jesus' resurrection does the same kind of thing. Uh, if Jesus is raised, it means that he's completely defeated sin and death. And so we can have 100% confidence in what he's done in defeating our enemies. Uh, but the New Testament writers don't actually uh, think about the Red Sea when they talk about Jesus' resurrection. They don't point back to this part of Exodus. So where do we find echoes of this passage in the New Testament? Uh, well, if you have a Bible... Uh, Turn with me to Revelation 15. 
Revelation 15, verse 1. That's a picture of a stingray. That's how I was feeling. Very scary. This is Revelation 15, verse 1. So it's, it's here, what we find is that uh, we see this story of Exodus and the Red Sea crossing kind of, it appears and it's used here in Revelation uh, as images for God's final defeat of evil. I'll read it out and as I read it, uh, try and listen for those echoes of the passage that we've just had read. Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses, and of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation uh, drags this symbolism from, from Exodus, from the, the plagues, as a picture of God's wrath, God's anger against evil. And as a picture of the evil of this world being destroyed. And we see God's people standing by the sea, rejoicing in the utter destruction of their eternal enemies. The beast, Satan, is destroyed. And so God's people praise him. Who will not fear you, Lord? And bring glory to your name. It's just like in Exodus. God's people are rejoicing in God's ultimate victory. God has set a day of judgment for this world. And that judgment day is for God's glory. As all nations are drawn in to worship him, when they see his justice and power, it's God's Uh, defeat of evil on that day. And it's that defeat of evil which gives us our security. If we're uh, those who call God our Father, then it's God's defeat of evil that secures our eternal home with Him. Unless evil is crushed, there is no place of safety. The final decisive victory at the Red Sea points us forward to God's final decisive victory at the last day where Satan is destroyed and God's people are secured forever. So as we finish up, I want to finish with a question. How does that make you feel? How do you feel about uh, the judgment day of God? Because I think sometimes uh, people can feel a bit squeamish about it a bit uncomfortable at the thought of, of God judging and, uh, and punishing. And so we don't tend to, to talk it up very much. If someone asks you, 
uh, oh, you're a Christian, what do Christians believe? We generally don't lead with, oh, we believe in the final judgment and the defeat of all evil. Maybe we should, maybe that should be part of our answer, that this is a good thing, that when God judges the world, he does once and for all crush evil. But it's, it's good. When you scroll through uh, the news online, through your news feed, and see the things that are happening in this world, don't you cry out? Don't you long for God to put that right? Well, God has told us that he has set a day when he will do exactly that. Do we know him like that? Exodus 15 tells us that the Lord is a warrior. Uh, We need to come to terms with his destructive power. Uh, Not wild destructive power, but for the purpose of his justice, for his holiness. Do we know God like that? And when we think about the judgment day of God, does it cause us joy? Seems like a strange thing to say that uh, to reflect on God's judgment would bring uh, joy. But it is that judgment which secures uh, our eternal home. Do you long for that day of safety when the threat of evil has been crushed, pushed far away, wiped out. God's judgment should bring us to worship for his glory, for his holiness, for his justice, but it should also fill us with a hope, a hope that God has secured an eternal home for us. And we can have that same confidence, the confidence that Israel had that they were going to that the land, a place of safety that God had set aside for us, for them, uh, we have an even greater hope, an even greater confidence. We sing an even better song than the song of Moses. It's the song of the gospel, the good news that uh, Jesus has rescued and that he will one day crush all evil when he returns. And when he returns to judge and to bring those who trust in him to their eternal home, that place of safety. Amen.